All right, we're back. I've cleared my throat, warmed up my coffee, and took a stretch. And uh, not necessarily in that order. (laughs) Yeah, so let's review. Uh, In our study of Christology, we've seen that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We talked about his largeness, his likeness of God. We've said he's the life of the world, not only the light of the world, but the life of the world. He is the Lord. He is the liberator. He's the one who sets the captive free. And he is the Lamb of God, a living sacrifice. So let's take up our study again with all of our L words. And we want to see that Jesus Christ is limitless. Limitless? Wait a minute. Limitless. If he's limit, if he's limitless, does he put a limit on how many people can be saved? Nope. 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 Does he have a list of people who are going to be saved? Yes. Yep. He does have a list, but he didn't cause that list to be made. He just knew who would be saved. Said it said it in John chapter six. I think it's verse sixty-three. Very plainly, for for Jesus knew who would not believe. Yeah, yeah. he didn't cause them not to believe. He he came, uh, he came that all uh, could be saved. An example is, I mean, you know your own children very well. That's right. You can know what they're going to do. That's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, and and know the choices they're going to make, probably. Probably uh, because they're like me. Yeah, yeah. But, but but that doesn't mean you're making the choice for that's, them. That's right. That's right. We raised them correctly and gave them a chance to choose, and they, <laughs> yeah. they did. I chose badly sometimes. Uh, sometimes your children will choose badly. But God sets no limits. It says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the world. Let me say that again. He so loved the world that whosoever, that's you, that's me. You know, that was even Satan. Yeah. That whosoever believeth in him, right. him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And there is no limit. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. He's the first. He's the last. I want to have you turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Let's begin reading at verse 19. It says this, For the law, that is the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, for the law made nothing perfect. <laughs> there, You cannot get saved by keeping the law of Moses. Right. You just can't. That's right. In fact, from almost the day you're born, you began to break the Ten Commandments. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. And that better hope was Jesus Christ. And the word hope means confidence. Mm -hmm. If you believe, you have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and as 
as not without an oath, he was made priest. For these priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. One of these days we're going to go into a study of Melchizedek. Well, we did. Okay. Did we? We did. We did one already. All right. Thanks for reminding me. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered or allowed to continue by reason of death. The priests of the Old Testament all died, or as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all men be made alive. And then in verse 24 says, uh, uh, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. No limit. No time limit. No space limit. Right. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ has no limits. None whatsoever. Let me say this next. And it looks like we're going to finish this in one hour, Curtis. Yay. Yeah, miracles do happen. (laughs) Jesus Christ is also our lawyer, our litigator. Mm -hmm. Now, why do we need a litigator? And what does it mean? Uh, Our lawyer. Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. You know, I love, there are certain certain books in the Bible, which I, I just read over and over and over again, maybe more than others. I like, the, I like this, this epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Let's begin reading at verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Uh-oh. Do you mean that God wants us not to sin? That's correct. That's exactly. Does that mean that we can be perfectly sinless? No. <laughs> he says, I write unto you these things that, that you sin not. And if any man sin, any man, Curtis, that's you. Sharon Ann, that's you. Mm-hmm. Dick, that's me. We're, <laughs> we're just sinners saved by God's grace. It says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. (laughs) And he's our propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, the whole world could get in on this thing if they would just but believe. So when I sin... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, how does he do that? He goes to the Father for 
us. That's right. Curtis, Sharon, we all have the habit of praying in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And you know why we got that habit? Because that's the only name under heaven whereby a man must be saved. That's That's it. There's no other name. And so he's our advocate. He goes between you and God. He goes between me and God. And by the way, uh, uh, listeners, if you're saved, understand you have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Book of Romans chapter 3 says there is none righteous. No, not one. Now, we can be made the righteousness of God in him if we believe him. But we have to believe him uh, to be saved. And now that we're saved, whenever we sin. By the way, I'm writing an article on forgiveness. It will be ready in two or three weeks about forgiveness. Even as God, for Jesus Christ's sake, Colossians chapter 3, 13 says it, hath forgiven us. So also do you. God has forgiven us. By the way, when God forgives us, you know what else he does? He forgets our sins. You imagine about that? I mean, that's he buried our sins in the depths of the sea. Um, and we'll, when we get in. I know we don't have that ability. No, we don't. To forget. That's right. And so he is the propitiation. That means the satisfaction. He has satisfied the payment for all of our sins in his own body on the tree. And having done so, he became a ransom for us all. That is, he paid the price and he became the propitiation for our sins. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation. So what does propitiation mean in one or two words? The satisfaction. Okay. He satisfies if you didn't hear my wife, she wanted to know in a few words what propitiation really meant. Mm-hmm. It means a satisfaction of debt. Appeasement. Yep. I, I, one preacher said, said I, I owed a debt I couldn't pay. That's right. <laughs> he paid the debt that I owed. Yep. He became Sin. my advocate and still is. In the pastoral epistles, uh, Paul writes that he was also our mediator. Mm-hmm. Can you? I mean, he was a guy that, that argued to God. That's why we can come to the throne of grace boldly. Yes. That we might find help in the time of need because we have an advocate with the Father which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. The Webster's Dictionary calls says propitiation is the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Isn't that amazing? That's a good definition. Good definition. Well, we've got a couple of more L's to go. And I think we'll finish that before our time is up. He's our liberator, our lamb. He's limitless and he's our lawyer. By the way, he's the lone way of salvation. Folks, you cannot be baptized to be saved. Folks, you cannot do righteous works to be saved. 
We cannot by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And, and in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not, uh, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't get saved by any other way than by coming by faith, by grace, through faith, to the Lord the Lord of all things, the Lord Jesus, Jehovah Savior, Christ, the Anointed One. He's the lone way to salvation. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. No man cometh unto me but by God the Father. That's that's just the way it happens. And so uh, if you think you get this, if Allah saves, he doesn't. No. Allah does not save. If you think keeping the law saves you, you can't. If you think water baptizing saves you, if you think that you were sprinkled as a baby when you didn't even know what was going on, that saves you, that does not. It's just kind of a token of dedication. Your parents dedicating you to Jesus Christ. It does not save you. It does not guarantee your salvation. There is only one thing that guarantees your salvation. That is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way. Let's move on. Jesus Christ is... Above all things, love. Love is about the most bandied about word in our English language. <laughs> sure is. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I've heard people say, I love the way you sing. And they should have said, I like. Yeah. Yeah, because they, my, my singing doesn't endear me to anybody. Okay. <laughs> Except, unless I'm singing God's praises. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Uh, love is agapao. It means the greatest form of love. Mm -hmm. It's agape love. And only Jesus can love you like that. Three things about love. Then we'll close. The first thing is in John 15, verse 13. If you'll turn there, turn there with me. John 15. Verse 13. I love this verse. I just love it. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said this. Um, he said, let's, let's read verse 12 first. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And then this great Amazing verse. He said this. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This, folks, is the epitome of love. He died that I might live. He laid down his life on Calvary for me. He was dead three days. 
for me. He was raised again from the dead for me. And by the way, for you, greater love hath no man in this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And that was a prophetic utterance of what he was about to do for these men and yes, for the sins of the world. That folks is the epitome of love. And God revealed it in his son the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I almost hear you turning your Bibles. But God commendeth his love toward us. In, in that, that while we, we were yet sinners, Christ, Christ died, for, died us. for us. He commended his love. This is... Well, we, you know, we didn't have to clean up. We can't clean up. There's no way we can be clean except through Jesus Christ. We are clean through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing in our churches, our, uh, our fundamental churches, are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? It's amazing. God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ, the anointed one, died for us. So we've seen the epitome of love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he man died for forgive his life for his friend. Now this is the exercise of love that God exercised on our behalf. He commended his love toward us. He said, here it is. This is, the, this is my love. And he says that while we were yet sinners. While we were still enemies of God. Oh, yeah. Uh, Christ. He died for us anyway. Then verse 9 says, much more than now being justified his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Isn't that an amazing thing? He exercised his love by giving us the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. to die for our sins. I remember back in the 60s, we were rather young men, that churches, not all churches, but some of the main denominations were <clears throat> had a movement to remove the word blood. If, oh, yes. If you're not hearing what my wife said, because she's not close to the microphone, there was a movement, and it was back in the 1960s, and yeah, I remember it very well, uh, by a liberal church people. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking liberal people who use the, the name of Christ, uh, and they used it in vain. At, there was there was a move to remove the word blood yeah. from the Bible. They didn't like the bloody connotation. They didn't yeah. like the bloody connotation. The hymnals they had to be gone over. And, yep, and, uh, they took them out of hymnals. It was amazing, um, but there it is. You were washed in the blood. That's an exercise of God's love. Then, if you'll turn to First John, chapter four, we've been there already. 
By the way, a lot of people call 1 Corinthians chapter 13 the love chapter, and it is. Eight times the word charity, which could be translated love, is in 1 Corinthians 13, eight times. But when you get to 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse, oh, about verse 7, we'll see that 27 times we see the word love. Mm -hmm. 27 times. Let's just read a couple of them. Can I? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. <laughs> it says this, we love him because he first loves us. That's right. The little ones memorize that verse. You betcha. In, in Bible school, vacation Bible school, that's one of the verses that the kids memorize. One of the first verses that I yes. memorized. Uh, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Well, Curtis, when was the last time you saw God? Well, that was, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. No. No, you never saw him. Never. Well, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God, but you've never seen God the Father. No. No. So if you if you if you can't love him, how can you how can you love your brother whom you do see? It's 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 amazing. Uh, by the way, one of the things that's missing in churches is love for one another. We come, we sing read a couple of verses, have communion, go home, chew your wife out. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Where did that come from? Come on. Let's continue. He says in verse 21, and this commandment have we from him. A commandment now, remember? Commandment that he who loveth God love his brother also this is the evidence of love the epitome of love the exercise of love and the evidence of love i'm going to close with this one of the greatest love verses in the entire bible for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that today, listener? I do. Curtis does. My lovely wife Sharon does. We believe this. We're not perfect. We don't know everything. In fact, one of my rules of study, if you're listening to this, is this. If I know anything, it's that I don't know everything. But one thing I do know is that Jesus, God gave his only begotten son to die on the cross, that whosoever, and I always put my name in there when I'm reading it, 
when I'm reading it silently, I always say my name for whosoever, Dick Chamberlain, believeth on him, I do, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Dear one, if you've not received Jesus Christ by grace through faith, if you've not believed on him until this very moment, would you please do so today? This is why we do these things. Jesus Christ came into the world to save everybody. He wants to save you. He's, you're, a, you're one of the whosoever. You can believe. Whether you will believe or will not believe is up to you. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May that be said of you. In simple faith, trust Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Savior today, and you will be saved. With that, we're finished with the doctrine of Christology. Wow. Well, Pastor, uh, thank you again uh, for <clears throat> shedding some light thank you. On, uh, on the most preeminent doctrine of the Bible. Bible says that the volume of the book is written of Jesus Christ. It's written about him. That's why this is the most important and preeminent doctrine that we can study. Uh, <clears throat> the study of the Word of God is is the whole objective is is to get to know Him better. Uh, and why would we not want to know how to know Him better, seeing all He's done for us? I mean. <laughs> I I can't learn enough. Yeah, I can't learn enough, and I, I, I'm constantly amazed at what I do find out. Too. I want to I want to run up and hug him, but I'd, I'd, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather well, do like they like they did in the Bible, yeah. hold him by the feet. Yeah, his feet. yeah. Wow. Amen. Because they were wounded for me. That's right. Wow. That's right. So. We, uh, that concludes our study on Christology, although there are volumes more that we could do on it. Uh, this will suffice for now. Uh, and we're going to move on uh, this Saturday to another of the 10 major Christian doctrine, doctrines, which is the doctrine of pneumatology. P-N-E-U-M-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Pneumatology, which is one of the most fascinating studies we can do. And one of the most maligned studies by it, people it, who it, don't know it the Bible. It certainly is. And so there's going to be a lot to learn, a lot to clear up. Uh, so be sure you don't miss this. You're going to get some great information about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This Saturday on the Christian Underground News Network. We thank you for joining us today. We're blessed that you have, and we hope that you've been blessed by listening also. Um, please be with us this Saturday as we continue our study of the 10 major Christian doctrines. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. This is the Christian Underground News Network, signing off until Saturday.